Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping you get your business exit ready. Today, I've got Russ Hayworth with me from the Family Business Partnership. He's based here in the UK, but works globally. Russ, welcome. How did you get into this? Uh, Thank you, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, How I got into this was my background is in financial planning. And um, just to clarify, I'm a family business advisor now, so I work with families to help them with, amongst other things, uh, the discussions around succession planning. But prior to that, I was working um, in the financial planning profession and was typically focused on working with family business owners, the senior generation normally, and helping them to create Um, some financial independence from their business. So as you would expect with a financial planner, that would generally involve savings, investments and pensions and all of that kind of stuff. And then doing a financial forecast to say, you can afford to retire, whatever that looks like, from that business and not have to rely on it to support your lifestyle. And that can continue until your age no, 100, 105, whatever the, the projection outlined. Or it would tell them that they couldn't afford to do it, but here's a plan of how to do it. And it got to the point where I was working with a lot of family business owners and other business owners as well, where despite the fact that they were being told and being shown that they could financially afford to retire or leave the business, other excuses, other reasons came up as to why that would never be the case. And I was almost the bearer of bad news when I said you could afford to retire from the business because people were hoping they couldn't. So it's an excuse to hang around if I had my uh, cynical hat on. Um, so I've worked in the financial planning um, departments of national, international and local accountancy practices. And when I moved to my last financial planning role, I moved to a small family owned business and we decided at that point that we wanted to focus our services on a particular segment a particular market and that market was family-owned businesses and helping them with this challenge this uh, struggle sometimes around the point of financial and importantly emotional independence from their business and so I did a deep dive I wrote a book I went through the process of writing a book which looked at the financial, technical, and emotional aspects of succession planning. It has never been published. It is still on my laptop to this day. But what it did teach me is an awful lot about the world of family business. It piqued my interest and led me down the path that I'm now walking, which is giving consultancy advice to family-owned businesses away from financial planning. So I've now given up my financial planning role i have my own business delivering this consultancy service and it is focused on helping family businesses with the the dynamics the family dynamics and the complications that come from being in business with your family Um, and one of those areas as we discussed is succession planning and the uh, various hurdles and pitfalls that can be um a part of those discussions oh that's a so, so you, you've, you've ended up you know, doing something you love and, and are passionate about the topic, and, and so you found Absolutely. a way to create a business around it. So congratulations. Yeah. So I think 
what what you started on there is look we all know that business owners you know entrepreneurs they're basically control freaks and they wrap their business around themselves and they they often like to see uh you know they become part of their business so mm-hmm. what you know i think that's kind of what you described and and we all know that you know that business owners often you know will if they need to overcome the block of what's happening next. I talk about life after work because I don't want to scare them with pensions, but what uh-huh. happens next once they exit their business, they need to have a vision of where they're going so that they can you know, run and, and move towards that, accelerate towards that direction. Mm-hmm. If they don't know what that looks like, it's just scary. The big unknown, they'll find all sorts of barriers, as you're suggesting. Yeah. So we've got that dynamic going on with entrepreneurs. But what you're working with is the added dimension of family businesses. So there's, you know, the next layer is often a son, a daughter, or a family member of some sort. What extra complexity does that create for the dynamics of the business? And, uh, and you know, either the, the next layer coming into the, to the key role, the primary role, or the, the, the first generation moving out. You know, how do, what are the extra complexities created there? One of the best ways that this is um, visualized is if you imagine a Venn diagram with two circles that are overlapping, mm-hmm. and in a non-family business, you have an ownership system and a management or business system. So when that person, one individual, owns and runs that business, they're in that segment where those two circles overlap, and they have a higher degree of complexity in their role because are they making a decision as an owner or are they making it as somebody who is working in or running the business and sometimes the priorities can be different so it adds a little bit of complexity and that's just in a non-family owned business mm-hmm. if you add a third circle to that model and this model is called the three circle model because funnily enough it's made up of three circles if you add a third circle in that is the family system it goes from a model that has three segments and a degree of complexity to one that can then have seven segments and a whole lot more of complexity Because if you imagine you could be a family member, so you could be the matriarch or patriarch of that family, you could be a majority shareholder and the managing director of that business. When you're talking about decisions around the future of that business, are you wearing your matriarch or patriarch hat? Are you wearing your owner's hat? Or are you wearing your manager's or business hat? And again, it's the priorities for each of those systems could be different, especially if they haven't been recognized and they haven't been spoken about. So when you have family members who may not own the business, they may not work in the business, but could be married to somebody who does, they will have a huge amount of influence over that business because it's a family owned business isn't generally recognized when we start talking to businesses about what their plans and ideas are. And that's more so when you start talking about things like succession planning is let's take the example, very stereotypically, eldest son is next in line. He's Simba in Lion King where when he was born, he was held up above the pride lands and his, his destiny was set out before him without any discussion or choice for him. If there's actually a younger sibling who's better suited for that role, the dynamics within a family business will often dictate that the eldest son is obviously the natural choice. It's just something that seems to be ingrained in us as a society and never really challenged or questioned. It's just an expectation that can 
place a huge amount of pressure on the shoulders of that next generation, and they might not be the best person for the job. Now, in a non-family business, you would just recruit. You'd go out, you'd say, here's a list of criteria. Here's the skills we want. Here's the gaps we need to fill. And you'll go out and find the best candidate for that job. What can happen in a family business is eldest child, eldest son um, will be put into that position. And then they don't, they don't worry too much about the rest because it's the eldest son that's taken on the business. That's, that's just the thing that's done. And part of my role is to help rewind 10, 15 years in that process and say, let's start thinking about succession as early as possible so that all options are on the table and whatever's best for whatever you want to achieve as a family is put in place. Nothing is rushed. Nobody's put in a position where they wouldn't want to be or shouldn't be. And it just helps to smooth that transition because it is a transition. It's not an event in time. I know a lot in a lot of these um, scenarios, a, a piece of paper may be signed to say, this is now a legal structure that wasn't there before or ownership might change on a particular day. But overall, it's a, a transition for everybody involved in that process. Okay, so we've got the added dynamics of family and, and we know one of the things that when you're working with family members as opposed to non-family members is just the relationships are different. And, you uh -huh. know, and, and we've seen, you know, I guess the, the standard ones, you see mum and dad working in the business uh, and, you know, they, because of the dynamics, the, the, the personal relationship outside of business, you know, that creeps into the business environment. Sometimes it can create tension, friction, um, stress, um, awkwardness for other um, you know, members of the business or, or employees of the business. You now bring in you know, parent-child relationships as well. Um, you know, the dynamics of those relationships, often friction um, and what have you. Um, yeah, how much of your, your work is, is, is focused around, I guess, the, the, the dynamics, shall we say, the interpersonal communications of the relationships and the overlaps and, and how they fit in with the rest of the work environment as compared to how much your work is spent on the, on the pure commercials of the strategies of, uh, of the business and, and the stuff that uh, is without emotion? So the vast majority of my work is focused entirely on the family system. So in that three-circle diagram, I predominantly focus on the family system. So that will be um, family members who work in the business, family business, uh, sorry, family members who own the business, but also family members who don't sit in any of any of those circles. They are just related to people who are in that position. So again, it could be spouses. It could be senior generation who have historically moved on, but are still able to have an influence over the, the business. Um, the amount of times that you hear the stories of mum or dad coming in, dropping the odd grenade and walking back out again in, in terms of the after they've retired, whatever that looks like. Um, so I work with those um, dynamics. Because those systems are intertwined and there are impacts on each of those systems from changes in any of the other ones, I have to have an eye on what's happening in the business and in, in the ownership side of things. So it's not, not to say that I don't deal with any of those elements, but I focus predominantly on the um, family system and the, the ownership of, of the business. What that allows me to do is make sure that everybody within that family system is heard so that all of the views are 
taken into account. Rather than going in and saying, well, in order to make your business more saleable, these are the things that need to change. That's that's someone else's area of expertise. That's someone else's um, arena. I focus on the individuals within that family system and making sure they have a voice in um, any um, plans or strategies that are being put together. And there's various ways that that can be achieved. So if there's a broad number, a large number of family members that are potentially involved in the business, be that working in it or owning shares in it, then you can set up forums that allow them to have discussions in a safe environment. Rather than saving it for Sunday lunch, I know families at the moment aren't necessarily able to get together as much as they used to. But if you had, you know, a big summer barbecue once a year with all the family there, and that was the point where everyone started talking about the business and what's going on, that's possibly not the best um, forum for that, um, particularly as the day advances and the effects of sunshine and beer um, kick in as well. That can lead to, to some other tensions. But having the correct forums in place to allow everybody to have the right type of discussions in the right setting with the right people around that table is an important step in it's termed it's, it's not a very nice term but it's termed the professionalization of the business so it's formalizing stuff that might have been informal before and informal is fine all the time it works it's absolutely fine um, but there will come a stage where there probably should be some formality around the family element of how the business is operated and that's where i can go in and help with um, family businesses and doing that so, Russ, you, you start working with uh, the, the family members within the business. You, you have an impact on the, the communications, so I guess, the, the relationships um, within the business or the relationship dynamics within the business environment. What impact can that have on the business? So just a very um, straightforward example is um, if there are siblings that own a business jointly, it's part of a succession plan, the parents have decided that the shares need to be split 50-50 as an example, and only one of them works in that business, having those siblings talk to each other about the right things at the right time improves their relationship. They don't lose that sibling relationship because everything is business-focused. They talk about business in a business environment, and then they are siblings outside of that environment. And they separate those things out so that there are boundaries between each of those systems that are in play. Because if you imagine if, if you've had a, a hard day at work and you're running the business that you, you own with a sibling, you've had a horrible day at work and you ring that sibling up and go, oh, it's been a terrible day. Are you ringing them as their sibling? Are you ringing them as a fellow business owner? Or are you ringing them as the manager of the business that they own? Because how they respond to you could be different irrespective of, you know, depending on which person you are when you ring up. So if you have those clear boundaries and you're ringing up just to have a moan because you like to have a, a moan to your sibling, your sibling knows, I've just got to listen here. I haven't got to solve this problem. I haven't got to tell them to sell the business. However, that might um, transpire if you were talking as owners. Having those boundaries is important to allow you to have those right conversations. So it improves the relationship between you and your sibling because you now know where you stand with each other. Right. That's one example. Yeah, no, great example. So, you know, we've, we've cleaned up the energy between the family members. 
can can that improved energy and, and I guess relationship and clarity of relationship flow over um, in in some ways to the rest of the business and impact on the other people involved uh, in the business? Absolutely. And an important word you use there as well is clarity. So one of the things I work on with the families I work with is clarity on what the business is there for. And I don't mean in terms of what product it sells or what service it provides. It is what is the purpose of this business? Is it to provide wealth for the family to follow their own dreams? And if so, how does that manifest? How does that become reality? Is it to provide ownership opportunity for anyone in direct bloodline, for example? Is it just to create an employment opportunity so there will always be a job at this business as long as it's in family ownership? And there's no right or wrong there. The, the beauty of it being family owned is that they get to set that agenda and they get to, to shape it in how they want it to be shaped. So working with them on that gives them clarity. So documenting stuff like that down is called a family charter and it, it positions everything in a single document that is contributed to by all members of the family. And it's kind of a North Star for them. Um, it's not set in stone. It's not something that can never be undone it's not legally binding in fact but it is a guide for everybody in the family to say we had this discussion and we agreed that only bloodline can own the shares therefore your husband and wife cannot own shares in this business because they're not bloodline no arguments no we don't like him or her it's decided by the family at charter level so it removes some of that emotion around those potential conflict um, points so that clarity allows whoever's in charge of running that business to understand what they're running that business for. And that's particularly important if it's somebody that's outside of the family. So if it's a non-family managing director, it could be easy to assume that your job is to come in and make as much money as possible. But actually, if the family have said, we want to have a very positive impact on our local community, and we want X amount of our turnover each year to go to charitable um, organizations or um, initiatives. That helps the managing director of that business to understand what it is the family want from them. And that can often, again, avoid um, the lack of direction that can be in place if they haven't had those conversations. The so clarity is a very important part of what I do. Um, from an individual perspective as well, Clarity from an individual to understand, does their future lie within the family business or outside of the family business? Sometimes those discussions aren't held until it's too late and they've joined the business and then think, I can't do anything other than this for the rest of my life. And if that's something you don't want to do, that's pretty depressing. If it's something you want to do, brilliant. You, you've, you've lucked out because you, you happen to be passionate about what your family do and that happens a lot and that's a great thing. But if that's not what you want to do, Sometimes it can be left too late and you just, it just happens. And then five years down the line, you find yourself miserable at work. So you, you, you're starting to get involved in, in, in the conversation, enter into succession planning for the families now. H how do you do that? Because sometimes you've got mum and dad who started the business and they, they haven't got any kids who want to continue the business. Uh, sometimes you've got mum and dad who are running the business and they, you know, they've got kids in the business who've been told you know, the whole career that they're being you know, 
groomed or prepared for, to, to take on the role, but they're, they're in their 40s, you know, chomping at the bit, you know, mum or dad won't get out of the way. How do you handle succession planning in a, in a family environment with uh, all the various scenarios? Yeah, so in an ideal world, which we don't live in, um, this is a, a process or a transition that would be started really early on. So the longer you have to prepare for something, the less of a shock it is to you, the less, less change you're having to deal with in a, in a short period of time. So if you're looking at something six months out, for example, and you're going, right, let's start this thing called succession planning, and you've got to sort out in that six-month time period who's going to own this business in the future, who's going to run it, who's going to become the leader, what skills do we want them to demonstrate? You're forcing so many difficult and emotionally energetic conversations into a short period of time. The longer you can leave yourself as a family to do that, the better, because then you can break it down and have a plan and a structure in place for each of the elements of succession planning. And so my second um, sort of tip, first tip is start early. The second tip I would suggest is to separate out what is being spoken about. So are we talking about ownership succession? Are we talking about management succession? Or are we talking about leadership succession? And they might involve three or more entirely different people or groups of people. So it could be that the family, through their long-term planning and their discussions, have realized there's nobody in the next generation who wants to take the leadership or management of this business on, but they want the rewards of ownership. And so in dealing with ownership succession, you then only have to deal with that within that family element. If you're then talking about management succession in that, that scenario, you know that at a point where the senior generation are moving on, that somebody else from outside the family is gonna to need to be brought on, to take over that role. So how soon do you start that process? But by being clear on it and separating it out, it means you can have a plan for each of those individual strands, rather than trying to lump it all in together in a big emotion-filled um, conversation six months before any of this starts to happen. So that, that's the kind of suggested uh, opening path for families. I also think it's really, um, it's all too often overlooked the emotional impact on succession planning. And a lot of work is done and rightly so is done to prepare the next generation for whatever role they might have. So if there's skills to be filled or there's knowledge gaps, let's work on filling those to give that next gen the best possible opportunity to succeed but not as much work is done on preparing the senior generation for what they're actually going to do beyond the business. And for a lot of them, the family business is actually older than the children that are taking it on. It's been part of their lives for longer than their own children. And it's got an identity, although it's a legal construct, it's got an identity, it's got an emotional attachment to it that you're being asked to give up so that somebody else can take over and have their turn. Uh, and that can be a big struggle and a big transition for people to undertake. So although it's very, very important to focus on what's going to happen with the ownership and the leadership and who's going to do what role in the business, it's as important, if not more important, to focus on what are the senior generation going to succeed to. They will 
gain an awful lot of emotional well-being from their role in the business. And to be asked to give that up on a set date in the future is not a very attractive prospect for many because there's only so many golf rounds you can play. There's only so much you can do in your garden. There's only so many cruises you can go on. And again, all of these we can't do any at the, mo at the moment anyway. But it, it's thinking beyond just that transaction for what's going to happen beyond it that I think is important as well because it is difficult. It is emotionally challenging. But the more we can do to make that easier for everybody involved, the better. Yeah, look, I, I see exactly the same things, Russ. Um, business owners, you know, they, they need to know what's happening next. They need to be energised. They're typically visionary people. They get inspired. They get motivated when they see something and, and they love shiny new things. And when, when they can get a grasp on it, they can see it in their own mind, they'll run towards it. If they don't know, they'll just put up all the barriers. So, um, uh -huh. yeah, I think it's the same whether it's family business or, or not. Um, we need to have that vision of what's next so that we can get energised and move towards it. So what about structures and, and payments and, and uh, yeah, earnings, if you like, because uh, businesses, you know, whether they're family or not, still have limited resources and, mm -hmm. and people are inspired, as we say, by the energy. So we at, at Succession Plus, we break it down in terms of income, ownership and control, and, and we break down those three um, areas of business ownership and we create succession for each one and we look at each component individually. Um, and you've got, as you say, the fourth dynamic of that on top of that is, is the family relationships. Mm -hmm. So do you get involved in, in structures and, and, and you know, your background as a, as a financial advisor? Uh, do you get involved in, in how to generate, you know, um, uh, I guess, financial well-being you know, once they stop working in the business? Because you know, you know, often I see business owners who haven't um, planned for their, their, their life after work and haven't set aside enough savings to fund. Um, and, and sometimes they want the business to continue to fund that after they step back. Um, mm -hmm. Do you advise on, get involved in advising, advising on structures and, and how, I guess, various arrangements can be set up there? To an extent, yes, but that I, I have to draw a line. So my, because I work for the family, I don't represent the interests of a, a single individual, if that makes sense. So whereas my financial planning and financial advice role historically, I was typically working for the mum and dad in that scenario. And so I'd be looking at ways in which they could utilise the revenue within the business to create some financial independence, so pension contributions and, and things like that exciting things like that um, because I now work within the family system I have to keep an, um, in mind that my recommendation as a financial planner to take x number of thousands of pounds outside of a business is great for helping create that financial independent independence of the sorry independence of the parents but that might scupper the investment plans that the next generation would have in order to make the business their own and so there's a balance that needs to be met between the conflicting needs and wants of each of the generations. But that's why taking a step back and go, okay, what is the purpose of this? What, what do we want to achieve as a family? If you've outlined and documented that, you, you're then much better informed about what potential structures are going to be more suitable for you. So that's when I would say, let's bring in, external expertise 
because it's not my area of specialism in terms of, of creating the right legal structures or the right financial structures. I know enough to know when I need to bring in the right people to talk about that. But I'm able to have a discussion with them as a family so that when that expert comes in and says, this is what we think should happen, they're able to relate that back to what it is they're trying to do. So again, it's that point on clarity around it helps make far more effective, efficient and better decisions. I say better in inverted commas because it's towards their goal. Um, there might be far better tax structures for something, but it doesn't fit what they want to do for the um, business. But it helps them to make that decision rather than it all get caught up in the emotional side of things. Because if you think about it, the, the structural, legal and sort of financial side of things is inherently designed in the world of logic. It makes perfect sense because you can demonstrate a process or you can demonstrate an outcome. We as humans are emotional creatures and emotion and logic are not the best of friends because as soon as emotion hits logic, it just becomes confused. And if, if there isn't that sense of clarity around what it is you're actually trying to do and why, as a broad family system, that emotion can often be what scuffers perfectly logical solutions mm. that look perfect. They, they work. They do everything that they've been told to do. And yet the number of times I've heard that those structures never get put in place or that agreement or deal has never been signed comes down to the emotional factors that haven't been addressed up until that point. Yeah. Okay. So I think you, you've outlined, you know, fairly clearly that the sort of things you get involved with 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 the family, you you focus on the family members rather than and what they're trying to achieve from a generational perspective for the business and and by creating a charter for the business. Russ, how long do you find you work with clients in in general? Um, that it can be a reasonably short intervention if you want to use that word. It, it's um, it's a bit dramatic, probably, in an intervention. Um, but, but I can work with them specifically on a project that we want to have the discussions around how we construct a family council. So different groups of different um, branches of a family meet together to decide what they want to talk to the board about and what information they want to hear back from the board and that kind of stuff. And once that's created, you can then step away and go, thanks very much. That could be six months to, to a year. Or it could be that I become more embedded in the um, family as a, a resource for them to help them overcome issues over a much longer period of time. Because we're dealing with families and emotions, quick scenarios, um, quick wins don't tend to have as much impact as being um, able to influence that over time because change takes time. And you need to try and take, uh, from my perspective, I need to take some of that urgency out because that's when emotion can take over. So it can be six, 12, 18 months to get to a point where they go, right, we're now happy to um, say this project has, is over. But I'm then available to um, continue to work with them on a retained basis beyond that, because um, I, there's a saying, it's not one that I've come up with, I wish it, it was because I love it so much, but it's you can't read the label of the jar you're in. And so what I do is I help 
families to read the label of the jar they're in so that they can then make decisions based on that. And that never changes. So you can put things in place to make it better and more effective, but if you still need an objective third party sometimes to come along and go, we, we value your opinion here. So I can work on a retained basis on um, in, in that respect as well. So it's kind of your your engagement with a client can can stretch out or shrink back, contract in to meet the needs of the client. You're always available Absolutely. on tap. You you love to build longer term relationships with them. Yeah, as long as you're adding value and, and helping progress the family business as as a unit. Absolutely, Russ, look, yeah. I think I think you've explained that that really well. You, you you've you've put together some some really insightful things for for our listeners today. One of the, the things I always ask my guest is, you know, what's the one tip you want to leave uh, the listeners today, you know, that they want to remember from this podcast? Um, my one tip would be you are not alone. Um, I have a term for family businesses that they are collectively unique in that they have individual personalities within their business that no other business will have but the challenges that you face are um, common. There are things around succession planning, sibling rivalry, future direction and ownership of the business, all of that kind of stuff that is very common within family businesses. You're just having to deal with it with the unique perspective of your family. But there is help and support out there because you are not alone and the challenges you face are common. Wonderful. And there's always someone who's walked that journey before and can guide you through it and hold your hand. That's fantastic, Russ. Thanks for joining us uh, on the Exit Insights podcast. Appreciate your time and uh, sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you for having me.